business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It is eight minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And for those of you who are running your own businesses, those of you who are employed in big corporates, we all know that it has been a really, really tough 24, maybe even 36 months. We need to remember that the South African economy was in ICU prior to Corona arriving on our shores. And it's been very, very difficult. I think maybe the most challenging thing to all of us has been the psychological aspect of being either employed or being an employer and having staff. Just trying to balance that idea of, will I have a job, won't I have a job? Should I keep staff, shouldn't I keep staff? How do I pay salaries? I've got a triage scenario in my business going on right now. What do I pay first? Who do I ask for time from? And those are the challenges that we all faced in the last while. But one of the biggest mistakes that is often made is the letting go of staff that are experienced, that are talented, and that are often very, very loyal. And I'm very, very chuffed to have Cindy Norcroft on the road, on the on the road, on the phone with me or via Zoom. Cindy, CEO of Pro Talent, welcome to High FM. Thanks so much, Avi. It's wonderful to be chatting to you today. And yes, you're right. There's just been this most Crazy, I think a knee-jerk reaction, I think especially when COVID started, where a lot of employers started looking at every single line item on their income statement, which was the right thing to do. But I think so many people had a bit of a strong knee-jerk reaction, wondering how long and how deep the, the, the impact of COVID would be. And as a result, possibly cut too deep, became too lean. And as a result, I think they lost a lot of their muscle memory you know, those people who've been with you a long time are often the custodians of the culture. They know the history of the business. They know the clients. They know the way we do things around here. And, you know, uh, sometimes if, if there's negativity, it's maybe good to not have in there. But I think what we've seen in the last couple of months, especially the last six months, is that many companies are now rec recruiting far more than they ever were. Business has improved for many, many people. And now all of a sudden they're ending up hiring newer, um, maybe younger people and paying actually more money. So they didn't save much in the greater scheme of things. And now they have to train new people. And those new people still have to go through a learning curve, which is an expensive experience. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Some, some jobs, you know, people are still learning within six to nine months. They haven't fully reached, you know, sort of full 100% capacity. So, yes, it, it, uh, you know, sort of getting rid of people, you know, too quickly can be very detrimental to a company, very much so. You know, just on a very personal note, Cindy, I know that when Corona hit, you know, that was one of our biggest concerns, how we're going to keep everybody afloat, pay everybody's salary. And all I can say is that it was the priority to make sure that everybody's salaries were paid. And then when I had a personal tragedy towards the end of last year, if not for my staff, my practice would not have survived. They simply just picked up the baton and ran with it as if nothing had happened to me. 
and really understood when to get in touch with me, when to call out, when to reach out, um, and how to handle the clients. And if they had not been experienced, been with me for many, many years, I mean, it would have been an impossible scenario. And I'm sure this, the same is very, very true for big corporates. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny, the last two years, we've seen what has been now known as the great resignation. A lot of people have also left companies due to many, many factors, one of which is, you know what, they've realized just how nice life is sometimes doing the gig economy or working for several people or just really enjoying the remote workplace. But you're absolutely right. You know, I, I think one thing uh, that some employers haven't done is there have been some companies where the employees have been incredible. They have gone more than the extra mile. They've picked up the extra slack. And I think those people need to be acknowledged and celebrated and, um, and thanked for their hard work. On the contrary, there have also been some companies where employees have, have been out of action. They've been out of mind, out of sight, literally invisible. And I think those companies are wanting them back because they, I think, are wondering what they're paying for. But I think, you know, in a company, even more, I think, than loyal staff, key people, people who are doing more than they they pay to do um those are the gems we call them the a players people nice. who always volunteer and do extra and those people are bold if we if we've got at least 20 or 30 percent of those in our businesses we should be flying you know Cindy, it's so true one thing you said over here in in the press release is that older staff have been there often fast and sold out of the, the job market because they've had generate generous increases during the good years and now that person sort of is not in the job market in the sense that in your late 40s, 50s, to go compete against somebody who's you know recently graduated, full of energy, might be a very difficult place to be. But is it true that if an employer sits down with that staff member and is transparent and says, up until now you were earning X, but this is what we can afford, that most employers will be pleasantly surprised that the staff member is more than willing to sort of be pliable and flexible in order to accommodate them during difficult times? I think for many employees, um, if, if there are no other push factors for them to want to leave the company, if they are in a position where they've been there a long time, but the company's realizing that they are now a very expensive slash overpriced resource, I think it is good to have a conversation with that person and maybe instead of an increase, um, they might need to right-size the role or, or they might need to decrease the salary. But, you know, there are also other ways of compensating an employee. It could be working from home from time to time. It could be having the odd day off or a little bit of extra leave. Or it could be something else that's not monetary, but that the company can, can actually um, give the person that shows that they still value them and that they still have an element of seniority. But I mean, it's, I think I liken it to, you know, if you own a commercial property, say, and you have a tenant and they've been there 15 years and every year you get your annual eight or 10% escalation, those, te those tenants will speak to the landlord at some point and say, yo, we're paying too much, let's right size this. So I think it should work both ways, but I think many employers are very, very scared of even having that conversation. I think so many people are scared of what is deemed to be um, constructive dismissal or you know, an unfair labor practice. They're scared of the CCMA. But I think an honest conversation of saying to a person, listen, if I retrench you, 
I would get somebody cheaper. However, I think if you were to go into the market, you might not get the same salary. Um, I want you to stay. How do we how do we find a middle ground? I, th I think, you know, by agreement, anything is possible. Absolutely. And that's really what it's all about, communication and making sure that people are know are, are, are involved. I mean, I saw something going around on, on Facebook the other day about ESCOM. And the first thing that these people do is they release the CEO's salary. And the salary was 7 million rand or something. And the moment I saw that, my first thought was, well, whatever's going to follow from here is now going to be tainted. Because if you're not paying your CEO a CEO salary commensurate to the responsibility that he or she has, it's going to rot from the head down. If the person's incompetent, that's one thing. But, you know, the salary needs to be commensurate to the position and responsibility that's held. Um, Cindy, what are, what's coming through a lot on the SMS line, and obviously what people are quite concerned about, is that the efficiency of the South African labor market, the efficiency of people that you employ, is really not up to scratch. Not up to scratch. So Sibosiso says here, my single biggest challenge is with keeping staff for a long time is the longer I keep them, the less efficient they become, no matter how much I pay them. And I found that very, very abusive. How does one correct that? I don't know. It's an interesting question. <laughs> very interesting question. I think we have seen in the last two years an absolute decrease in standards and efficiency, I think, overall. Many companies are using COVID as a great excuse. I was at a, a restaurant the other day and they said, you can have a knife and fork, but not a spoon because of COVID. <laughs> and we were laughing. We were saying, please explain, you know. And I think I think a lot of a lot of people, if they were very honest, have I think you're getting two schools of thought. Some people have been so scared about losing their jobs that they have literally worked nonstop. And some people, their boundaries are poor. So they're working from home and their lives have become completely insular and work focused. And those people are in danger of burning out. However, I do feel for employers when they hire a, a staff member in good faith, the, the staff members there, they put up their salary every year and then the person becomes possibly a little bit lazy or a little bit demotivated. So I think the important thing to do is to establish very set boundaries, expectations and requirements. So that's where the contract generally comes in. I expect you to do X and Y and for that I give you Z. I think a lot of um, communication in the workforce is very vague. And I think that's where we get a lot of uh, uh, miscommunication. Cindy, just before we go to, to the ad break, I just want to say that you know, I came back to South Africa two weeks ago on a, on a trip and you know uh, where I live here in Israel, it's incredibly efficient. We live in a beautiful city. On Sunday night, some kid drove his dad's car up a tree, literally. And by midday the next day, the tree had been straightened, had been felled, put back in the ground. You know, it wasn't left there for days and days or weeks. And when I came back to South Africa, I was so pleasantly surprised at, number one, the friendliness of people. Number two, the efficiency of the way things are done. Um, and I think South Africans are very quick to be critical of ourselves and very critical to sort of use things as an excuse for us not being as good. But we, we definitely have our own flavor and our own accent, let's call it that. But we definitely hold our own in many fields. We need to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to just shift a little bit 
and talk a little bit about yourself and your personal experience as an entrepreneur from a very, very young age in South Africa. Craig, let's go to the shops quickly. This is RV on Business. Welcome to 101.9 Chi FM. Sorry about that. I had myself on mute. I didn't realize. Cindy, coming straight back to you. Um, I will do the live read in a moment. Tell us about yourself. Um, you started your business at age 23 as a young lady. It's always challenging to start when you're young. It's always challenging to be a lady in the workplace, especially going up against the big boys. But you didn't seem to have succeeded or survived. You seem to have thrived. And, you know, from there, other things came out. What is the story? Um, Avi, thank you so much. Yes, um, I started my business nearly 29 years ago. And um, I was... um, I was 23 years old and I decided I had worked in a recruitment business and I decided I wanted to start something similar, but with my own flavor. And I think there's some benefit to being young and ignorant and naive. You know, I thought this is going to be so easy. (laughs) If I look back now, I don't think I'd have the courage to do it now. But um, it's a real rags to riches story because I had worked on a cruise boat during my restraint and I saved up 9,000 Rand. And I put 2,500 in the bank and literally started the business from a spare room. And uh, it worked really, really well. So, um, yes, it's been 29 years and it's been very hard, but and, but rewarding at the same time. And it, it reminds me of that quote that I've always used to believe in. Call, uh, it said, entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't. So you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't. Anyway, I've realized that that is not a true saying because it's not just a few years, it's your life. (laughs) So I think you've got to have the passion for it. You've got to have the energy for it. You've got to love what you do and see the purpose in what you do. And I think, um, you know, you you spoke earlier about, you know, the one person was asking about how, how do you keep people motivated? And I think a big part of running a business is, not about you, but how you help others bring out the best in them and create an environment where others can excel. And I think sadly in South Africa, we've got amazing people in our country, but I think sometimes what we have is we don't necessarily always have great leadership and management skills. So some companies have environments where the staff are not engaged. If they're not engaged, they're not gonna give you know, the, 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 the effort that they need they're not motivated, they're not inspired, and there's not clear expectations. So for me, business has been quite a journey. It's not always been easy. I just I just think of all the long hours and the the fact that I live with a to-do list, a to-do list that is never complete and have this generalized anxiety. But also I think entrepreneurs, if I look at true entrepreneurs, they're opportunists. They, they look around and all they see every day is opportunity. So they're incredibly positive. They can see something that others can't. And they are creators. They are able to make something out of nothing and add value to people. So um, I've absolutely loved this journey. Um, I also opened up a training company and trained entrepreneurs for a few years. I, I'm also a qualified business coach and a motivational speaker. So running my own business has also created a launch pad for me to grow other areas of my life. And I've also subsequently written two books um, um, for for people in business. So yeah, I've I've loved my business journey. It's not always easy. And, you know, I always want to encourage people by saying, 
you know, if you see somebody who's successful, don't just look at that end picture. There's always a messy journey behind the scenes. And what you see, which might be the success, is a beautiful snapshot in time, but you don't see the late nights, the agony, the concern over cash flow, worrying about staff. And, and I must take my hat off to entrepreneurs over the last two and a half years. It has been brutal. You know, many of us have, have you know, I think we are used to being quite confident in usual business trading conditions. We know which way to steer the ship. We know which decisions to make. And for once in my life, I was completely and utterly unable to think of which decisions to make. I had I had about 15 different scenarios in my head and I was literally paralyzed for a period of time. And then trying to motivate people when I was thinking I'm staring into an abyss, that was really hard for me. So I can imagine many entrepreneurs might've felt like they possibly weren't a great decisive leader, but I think these have been extraordinary times. So be kind to yourselves. <laughs> Cindy, coming back to you, um, you've really used your business as a launch pad to really empower people. Um, I don't want to forget to talk about the, the um, philanthropy and the charities that you run, because that really shows who you are as a person when one starts giving from the success that they've made. But one thing as somebody who's worked for corporates for many, many years, when, we, when I go to this conference and these motivational speakers stand up and speak, Nine times out of 10, you look at them and you get this warm, fuzzy feeling. And then you walk out the room and you think like, what was that all about? Nice story, but it's not practical for me to translate anything into my life. Or it's a generalized thing of, yes, we can do it and fuss bait and nothing can stop us. You know, I've had a few um, experiences where they've been absolutely amazing and just to share one very, very brief one, and I forget the gentleman's name. He was the coach of the Indian cricket team and had no coaching experience in cricket at all when he got the job. But Sachin Tendulkar's biggest problem was he kept getting bashed on the head by the ball when it bounced. And he looked at this and looked at this and said, Sachin, from now on, that ball, you're not going to touch. And he looked at him and said, you're mad. I, I can't waste the ball. He said, every time that ball hits you, you sort of get whacked in the head and now it takes you two or three balls to find your mojo. Duck it, move out the way, don't touch it. And he started doing that. And all of a sudden, he didn't lose his confidence, he didn't lose his mojo, and the bowlers realized that they're wasting their time on that ball because he's never going to touch it. So all of a sudden, after a couple of bruises, he realized that's the way to go. So sometimes avoid something and focus on the good things. So that was something that I took away. Yourself as a motivational speaker, what do you expect people to walk out of the session with? Avi, from my side, um, my motivational speaking is very real, raw, vulnerable. And it's always about where I am, what I've been through, what's worked, what didn't work. Don't try this at home. Um, it's normally quite funny. Um, but what I want people to do is they walk away with very practical things that have worked for me that haven't worked um, based on what I'm reading, based on because I tend to try and read uh, from all the greatest minds all the time. So, you know, I often speak to women in business, to entrepreneurs, um, to people in corporates as well. And um, so I'm constantly reading and updating my knowledge. I also work as a coach. So what has worked for people? So these are practical, tried and tested examples. And I think the secret to a good motivational speaker 
is when somebody walks the talk. So it's not about, you know, um, let's say uh, Ariana Huffington says this and Sheryl Sandberg says this and Elon Musk says, says this, but, you know, they say this, this is what I've tried and this is what didn't work for me or I don't think it's relevant in the South African context. So I think it's about being real. It's about not putting yourself on a pedestal. It's actually the opposite. I think these days people are looking for real. They're looking for the 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 the, the person who has the struggle. They don't just want the the, the linear path to success. They want to know that they're not alone. I think that's an important element as well. So for me, um, what is a motivational speaker? I think it's almost like a modern day philosopher. It's somebody who looks at things slightly differently and says, you know, I've got a different view on that. Because otherwise, if I'm saying to you what everyone else is saying to you, it's just noise. So I want to come in with a different perspective. So what is life like really after COVID, you know? Why is every woman battling with work-life balance and men aren't? You know, what do employees really need? You know, and these are things I ask myself. And these, you know, why am I so driven? Are other entrepreneurs like me? How do we tone it down sometimes? How do we, you know, keep our energy going? So for me, it's, it's a personal story. It's not rah, rah, let's all sing a song. Let's do a move. So for me, the word motivation comes from the word locomotive, which means to move in a direction. I find many people will attend a motivational speech or coaching session when they feel like they've lost direction. So if we can give them some action tips. And so when I speak to people, I want them to have a pen and paper ready. I want them to sit there and go, I need to try this. I need to do this. Because often what's happened is they're all out of tools. They're sitting there going, I don't know what else to try. I don't know how to motivate my staff. I don't know how to motivate myself. I've forgotten how to market my business. It's been two and a half years. I don't even know who my clients are. So let's go back to basics. Okay, let's do this. I've got 15 tips that are going to help you. I've got three things. If you're not doing these, you're wasting your time. So I think it's it's about, and also showing people they can do it. A lot of people being confident in themselves is not a natural forte. So when somebody's saying to you, you know what, you can do this, it is not that hard. Come on, let's break it down into the smallest little steps. Suddenly it becomes quite manageable. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the hero inside of us. And Cindy, just to pick up one thing that you said that men don't aren't challenged by work-life balances. I know for one, I am a man, last time I checked, and that is one of my biggest challenges is to get the balance right. Are you saying that ladies um, find it more difficult to get the balance um, or that men just don't have the challenge? Oh, Avi, this is my favorite subject. So in my book, in my last book, I've just written, how does she do it? Um, I, I, I posed a question there and I said, why is it that I have done a talk over 2000 times on how to get the balance right to women? but never ever to men. So 2000 talks to women, but not one of them uh, to a group of men. I think that answers it in its entirety. There's something completely and utterly unfair and unequal about expectations on women, for women, and even by women. So I think women are very uh, are living quite a tough existence. And not to say that men aren't, but universally, um, women seem to take the load. And I think it's because they they care too much. They don't just care about their nuclear family, which men often do. They care about the community, the ex, ex, uh, you know extended family. So I'll give you an example. Um, even if a man says, "Oh gosh, you know, I'm I'm really hectic at business and managing my life," but 
if it was a single dad, say, versus a single mom, that single mom would probably also be doing other things like possibly homeschooling, uh, doing all the shopping, uh, looking after the extended family, phoning, birthdays, everything else. And somehow women, as a, as a half the population, seem to have a little bit of an unfair deal for the most part. Not to say that men don't have work-life balance issues, but they never seem to ask for help. <laughs> so that's, that, that's very, very interesting. Um, you know, and it's, we are obviously running out of time, but having immigrated myself 18 months ago and coming to a country where there's no domestic staff and or very expensive help um, in the house, you know, you, you all of a sudden see where when the chips fall, who's the one who really holds everything together? Good, good. Cindy, let's quickly go on to, before we are um, out of time altogether, your philanthropy outreach programs. What are those all about? Basically, um, I started a charity foundation about 17 and a half years ago titled the Robin Hood Foundation. And like its name suggests, we take from the rich and give to the poor. We don't steal, but we ask very nicely. And basically, this started when um, I'd been in business now about 12 years. My second daughter was just born, and I realized that I had about 96 baby grows for this little baby. And I thought, gosh, I could clothe 10 poor babies with what I've got. So this, this movement quickly gained traction amongst my clients and friends. We started doing uh, food parcels for the, the grannies who look after the orphaned children. We started doing a project every Christmas called Bless a Granny. Um, we ask old age home residents what they'd like for Christmas. We've done built creches, houses, and hosted plenty entrepreneurial conferences. And now we have this charity that's now sadly had to get involved in, in crisis relief through the recent looting, flooding and COVID. So it's, it's morphed and it's very exciting, very passionate and super um, impactful. Good, Cindy, we unfortunately are out of time. If you don't mind, I am going to message you um, after the show. There are one or two things I'd really like to, to get your word on. Um, but thank you for coming across. How do people get hold of you? Avi, I think the best thing would be to contact me via email, and that would be cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, at proappoint.co.za. That's P-R-O-A-P-P-O-I-N-T dot C-O.za or www.cindynorcott.co.za. And that's N-O-R-C-O-T-T, and it's a really, really nice website. Please go have a look at it. Everything's there. Lots of pictures taken of you over the years, I take it, and <laughs> all the retreats and everything. But Cindy, all the best to you. Thank you for what you're doing to, for entrepreneurs, for the community, for the country at large. And uh, I will chat to you shortly. Thanks, Avi. Thank you for the opportunity. Great. Guys, everybody, thank you very much for listening. Um, I'm going to say goodbye to Cindy, and then we're going to reconnect with our next guest. <laughs>